The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative Word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com, also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face is made for radio and hear this voice. My goodness, I didn't even realize how bad it sounded. Um, <clears throat> head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to t- see two videos on the left side, of the, um, on the top of the page. The left side is Bradley's show from yesterday, so if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that area. On the right side of the page is where we're at. All you got to do is click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got, look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner, and click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there this morning, so good morning to you guys. Thank you for the well wishes, too. And uh, while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then over on, before it's news, top of the page, uh, we're over there, and we appreciate those guys giving us a spot on that as well. On sonsoflibertymedia.com, right up under where we're uh, streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter as well. Uh, be sure and do that. That goes out late afternoon, early uh, evening. All the articles we have, including the Morning Show Archive. Uh, so please do that and help support us in that way. And uh, we appreciate that very much. All right, I'm going to give you just a little update. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened uh, to me. I I know that, um, uh, you know, what was it? Not this past weekend, the weekend before, you know, Bradley and I were in Michigan, and I know immediately he um, he had an issue to where he thought it was something that was in the hotel room. Um, he mentioned they had dirty windows, which means they probably haven't changed out the filters in their air system. And um, so his was a lot of, you know, respiratory stuff. I can usually deal with that. Um, that's not too much of a problem to deal with. Uh, but it's, you know, he, he's gone on doing what he's doing and I'm pretty much the same. And I could lay down if I need some rest or something like that. This was not that at all. Um, so Friday, um, I, uh, 
I don't know, it was about 5.30 or 6 o'clock. I just, I felt awful. And I went and laid down on the couch with my kids. And um, the uh, they were sitting around up there. I said, don't, don't worry about me. I just need a place to lay down. So I laid down. Uh, two hours later, it was just so bad. I said, I got to go to bed. And I, from Friday till Monday, uh, I doubt I got an hour or two of sleep if I got that. It was every moment um, just pains, like in my kidney area, in my back. And then on Friday night, I felt like something was moving from, you know, that little tube that connects your kidney to your bladder. I felt like something was moving through there. And then all of a sudden it hit me because the the way I was feeling was like I did when I had the gallbladder attacks. And I thought, oh, no, do I have a kidney stone? So that's what I kind of thought. And I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, so I laid in the bed for days. I mean, I, I literally did. I hated it, but and I, I'm still weak right now. After the show, I'm probably going to take a nap. Um, but during all that time, Monday, I finally ate an apple and two um, tangerines. So that's really all I've had to eat since Friday. And then last night, I had a little chicken broth, um, which was wonderful. But my wife um, went and picked up some uh, a urinary tract infection tester. So we did that. And come to find out, that's what I had. So, um, doing some cranberry stuff and some other stuff. D-manos. Um, and lots of water. And we're going to have some chicken broth again. So, there's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but hopefully, I'm going to leave it behind here in the next couple of days, Lord willing. But you know what? I'm going to tell you. I am thankful that God knows what He's doing because in the midst of my sickness, God took time to speak to me and to deal with me. And um, You know what the psalmist says, it's a good thing that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Praise his name for sickness that he will use for good. And I do give him glory for that. Um, and I'm thankful for the things that I learned over these past couple of days. And I'm thankful for the things he corrected in me over the past couple of days. I'm also thankful for my wife. Uh, you should have seen my head. Um, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I did not shower until yesterday <laughs> I did it I was nasty um, and when I did my hair was like like this on the back of my head and uh, my wife was kind enough to brush my hair out uh, it was a mess um, but uh, yeah my wife is wonderful and uh, the Bible says man who finds a wife finds a good thing indeed more precious than rubies amen um, during that time I got to listen to, because there was no way I was reading anything, I got to listen to my um, uh, Bible that I've got. It's sort of a, um, I don't know, it's an audible thing with different actors. So it's, 
don't know if they, it's not illustrated. It's like a theatric kind of thing. But in any way, I get to listen to it. I was listening to uh, Josh, uh, the, the Deuteronomy and Joshua, and I, I just began thinking about how we are we are forgetful, and part of that was things that you know the Lord was dealing with me during this time too. How forgetful I am, and I'm not talking about in generalities. I, I forget stuff all the time. We all do that. But just how we forget what He's done for us and what He's done for others who've gone before us that got us to the place that we're at. Years ago, there was a, um, there was a paper. I was going to try to get it, um, and the time ran out this morning, but I was thinking about it this morning. Um, and I might can get it here um, if I could think of what it is what the title of it was, but, you know, this is it, I think, maybe, I don't know. But it was, there was a guy, this was back when I was in the, um, yeah, this is it. But it was a long time ago, this has been reprinted somewhere. Um, but the guy's name was Jim Elif. And this is what this is what he wrote. It, the name of the the piece was Southern Baptists, an unregenerate denomination. Now this is coming from a Southern Baptist. I'm not picking on Southern Baptists, okay? That's not what I'm doing, because this can go across the board to virtually every denomination that you can see things like this in, okay? But I want you just to hear some of uh, what what he says here. And again, this this was probably, I want to say this was probably written in the 90s. That's what I think it was. So here's how he starts. How are you doing? Pretty well under the circumstances. What are the circumstances? Well, I have a very effective arm. It moves with quite a bit of animation, but then I have my bad leg. What's wrong with it? I guess it's paralyzed. At least it doesn't do much, except twitch once a week or two. But that's nothing compared with the rest of me. Well, what's the problem? From all appearances, the rest is dead. At least it stinks. And bits of flesh are always falling off. I keep it well covered. About all that's left beyond that is my mouth, which fortunately works just fine. How about you? <laughs> like the unfortunate person above, the Southern Baptist Convention has a name that it is alive, but it is in fact mostly dead. Revelation 3.1 Regardless of the wonderful advances and our commitment to the Bible, the recovery of our seminaries, etc., that's long gone the way. Um, a closer look reveals a denomination that is more like a corpse than a fit athlete. In an unusual way, our understanding of this awful reality provides the most exciting prospects for the future if we'll act decisively. And I think, from what I've seen from the Southern Baptist Convention over the past 25 years or so, maybe 30 years uh, since this was written, is they've not done that. There have been good men within the SBC. I'm not saying that. But what he's saying is that convention that used to tout all its baptisms while it retained very little of those people in their churches, they were dead. They were unregenerate. They were close to God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. 
And it's not just the SBC. Listen, there are many Presbyterian circles where that is the case too. Lutherans, Methodists, Charismatic, all these different names people want to put to their particular denomination. They're in there too. They're dead in their sin when they think they've been cleansed from them. The Bible talks about that as well. And as I thought about some of these things, I was reminded of Psalm 88. Now, I believe that all of the Scripture, as Jesus said in Luke, speaks of Him. So I think everywhere we go in the Old Testament, you're going to sign, you're going to see this echo, this this portrayal, this shadow, whatever you want to call it, of the Christ who is to come. And I think Psalm 88 is one of those. But I also see an, an application here that we can draw out some for ourselves to understand something about us. And so I want to do that this morning. We're going to play a couple of videos um, just to bring us into remembrance. But Psalm chapter 88, here's what we read. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon Mahalath Lanoth, Mashil of Haman, the Ezrahite. Man, it's getting... Oh, I'm getting a hot flash here. Sorry. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear into my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. The rat, thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves, Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me, Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up, and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily unto thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Selah. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee I have cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die. From my youth up, while I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. The terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed my. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Now, if you, if you know, excuse me, if you understand what the Lord Jesus went through, you understand what's going on here. And this is talking about his, uh, his death. It is talking about him being in the land, not of the living, 
Uh, but that's what Daniel said would happen. He would be cut off from the land of the living, but not for his own sake. But he would be among those who had died. Why? Because he was giving his life on behalf of those who had died. Those who were in Adam. And so we see here, <clears throat> excuse me, this, this, these terms that are used here are terms for the grave. What goes on in the grave? <laughs> nothing. There's no memory. There's no thought. There's no knowledge. There's no nothing. There's no work to be done. There's nothing in the grave. And you can see that in Psalm uh, 6, verse 5, and Ecclesiastes verses 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verses 5 and 10. This is the land of forgetfulness among the dead. But that doesn't just happen in the grave. How many of you have forgotten things that you should be doing just over the past week? Let me ask you something. How does God bless the grave? It, there's, it's full of dead men's bones, right? We've been to Ezekiel. We've seen Ezekiel preach. God asked him, can these bones live? And what does Ezekiel do? He says, you know, Lord. And he says, preach to them. And what, do that, what happens as he begins to prophesy to these bones? The bones come together. There's a wind that stirs up. It gathers the bones together. There's sinew that's put on, the, on the, the bones to hold them together. There's flesh that comes on them. And they live. They stand up and they live. And the Bible tells us that is the whole house of Israel. We're not talking about modern-day geopolitical Israel. We're not talking about people who call themselves Jews and are not. We're talking about real regenerate people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation across the earth who've been brought into Israel, as Ephesians 2 teaches us, and been made a part of the people of God. That's what's going on there. And so when you look to America, what do you see? Uh, you know, I spoke, I, I spoke, I've spoken with several people, both in my area, of course, up in Michigan, some of the people, and then I hear from other people. And by the way, uh, many of you texted and emailed and messaged and all that other stuff and called uh, about <clears throat> my well-being. Let me say thank you for that, and thank you for praying with me. I, you weren't praying for me. I was praying too. Uh, and a lot of it was not necessarily about my health, but um, I'm grateful to you for that. How many of you have I spoke to where the people that you talk to about the things of God and the foundations of the land we live in based upon the teachings of the scriptures? How many of you run across people that don't know? They've either not been taught or they've, been for, or they've forgotten themselves. How is God to bless that? I watched the show yesterday with Bradley as much as I could. I caught some of the comments. And near the end, there was a guy popped in. Um, I forget the guy's name, but it seemed like he had Tim on the front of his name. I'm not sure. But, um, boy, he's in, he's in desperate need of remembrance. He said Bradley was a non-believer. Military, military was the only way to do this. He's, he's an idolater. He's bought into the Q stuff. He's bought into the Trump lies. And 
nothing about God, nothing about the true God, nothing about the scriptures as to how to rectify this. Scriptures doesn't say you do it with the military. And I've had some guys, you know, pop in and they'll say, oh, we need guerrilla warfare in the streets. Really? Why aren't you doing it then? Why aren't you doing it? You don't believe what you say. No, what we need is remembrance of the one who made us. We need remembrance so that we can give Him glory and so that we can uphold His commands, His statutes, and His judgments. Listen, ain't nobody else going to do it. Donald Trump ain't going to do it. He was trashing he was trashing God's law and the Constitution, his, his time in office, just as much as this guy is who's in there now. No, no, no. When the people of God do that, you know, a lot of people cite Second Chronicles. They cite it all day long. But I have to ask... How many of them, among those who name the name of Christ, how many of them are actually seeking God? How many of them are turning from their wicked ways? Or are they continuing in their sin? See, there's no blessing apart from departing from sin. There's no blessing at all. If we're willing to hang on to our sin, whether it's political idolatry, whether it's the things we've acquired, whether it's our status or, or whatever, if we're not willing to abandon those things and seek after the true and living God, what, where, is the, where, is the, where is the foundation for blessing? Well, it's not there. It's not there. So we read that in this passage, and I, I began to think, you know, again, it's, I, I do believe it's talking about the Messiah. I believe it's talking about His work that He'll do. But one of the things about Jesus is, is Jesus brings remembrance, doesn't He? <laughs> the Bible tells us that He went and set captivity. He led them away captive. He, he took them out of the captivity of the grave. He preached to them. He reminded them of what the Father had put before them all those hundreds of years before through the prophets. And he said he would send him and he said, here I am. Here's the reality. Come go with me. And he led them out of there. That's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't dead in the grave. His body was. But he was alive in the Spirit, the Bible says. And he brought remembrance to his people. And he led them away from their captivity. Now, we've been over Deuteronomy 28 uh, and Leviticus 26 so many times. You know, I mean, because to me, if you really want to get a gauge on where we're at, you read those, you read those, those, uh, those two chapters. You'll get a good gauge on where we're at in the United States. And if you ask me, I think we're like really in the final stage of God's judgment. Please forgive me. I'm I'm having a really hot flash here. Um So with that said, it's interesting because the Bible tells us that God when he forgives our sin, he forgets them. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. 
He throws them in the deepest ocean. He is one who does not bring them up against us again. Isn't that interesting? The word used for forgetfulness or forgetting uh, goes back to the Hebrew word shaka and nasha. Um, it means to ignore, to neglect, to forsake, or to willfully act in disregard to a person or thing. Now, God does that for our sins when He saves us. He does. He, he wipes those away. They are under the blood of Christ, and He is not bringing those up against I mean, He tells us He's not going to bring them up against us again. However, what about us and what we're doing? Are we remembering that kindness and love and mercy of God? Or have we forgotten it? Oh, no, 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 we wouldn't forget that, Lord. You know, I pray every morning and, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah, but ha do you live as though you remember it? Do you live as though you remember it? Uh, Bradley used to t tell about um, some of the school meetings that he used to speak at. And I remember the first time I heard him say it, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. He would take those young people that were a little rambunctious and they're making noise and stuff, and he'd start telling them about uh, men who had given their lives to secure liberty for their families and for their posterity. And he would talk about their headstones being out, places like Arlington and stuff. And look, I know there's some bad guys too. I get it, okay? But I'm talking about in general, I'm talking about in the past what we have seen. And he said, what would you do? He says, because... Your dad, your grandpas, your brothers, sisters, and you know, um, your brothers and uncles, and all these people gave their lives in that. So, what would you do if somebody went and broke their headstone, kicked it over, spray painted it, or whatever? And he said, without fail, in every meeting that he had, some kid would stand up and say, I'd break their head off. I <laughs> mean, bust their head. Why? Because they understand that there's a certain amount of respect for somebody who's given so much that, that have given that ultimate sacrifice in order to secure liberty for the people that they loved. How much more the Son of God who left everything. He didn't have to come and be among us. He didn't have to endure, endure the stuff that fleshy man endures. And yet he did. Even the humiliation of the cross. Why? The Bible says that he looked ahead of him beyond that humiliation to the glory that was awaiting him. And he did the will of the Father. And I believe we're at that point. I believe we're at that point of following in the footsteps of Christ. We don't redeem the world. I'm not saying that. But we are to follow him. John says that we follow him. We walk in his footsteps, right? We're at that point where this is going to come to us, too. And so we've got to prepare for it. We've got to keep fighting. Not saying abandon the fight, but we have, we have to make preparations, too, for what's ahead. This was why, one of the big things why I spoke about men and the militia up in Michigan, which, if the Lord gives me any strength, uh, that may be tomorrow and Friday. Maybe I'll just use that. 
um, that I've got here. We'll see. But in any case, this is a picture of what God does. So why is America in the situation it's in? It's because it's forgotten. We are a land of forgetfulness. We might as well be dead. In fact, spiritually speaking, I believe the majority of Americans are dead. And it's happened over generations. It's happened in the public indoctrination centers we call public schools. Education, well actually indoctrination without God. Go back and look how the children 250 years ago or more were educated in this country. New England Primer is one of the uh, great examples of how they were um, how they were trained. We still have one that we use you know with our kids. All their ABCs were tied to verses in the Bible. There were poems, there were stories of martyrs. There's all kinds of things that were part of their education. In fact, uh, if, I'm, if I recall correctly, when I did an article years ago on education, you know, that is a freedom you have as parents. You don't have to send them to the public indoctrination center. In fact, you shouldn't be. I think if you look to Scripture, there's no justification to do that at all. None. Except laziness. I, I don't know. And that's not a good excuse either. But when you do that, you're not following Deuteronomy 6 and teaching your own children and being diligent to put in them the commands, statutes, and the judgments of God. When I look back uh, in writing that article, one of the things that stood out to me, and I think it was South Carolina, but it was among all of the uh, states and the colonies before them, that basically what they had, yeah, they might have had a a little schoolhouse that parents controlled, not the state or anything like that. They had a school, they had a teacher that was accountable to the parents. That was it. That was it. And the kids were taught, and there was a foundation that that was built on. It was the Bible. And you know what happened? And I, again, I, I believe I'm recalling this correctly, so South Carolina... Among the rural areas, 90% of the people were literate. In the cities, 95%. They were, they were on par with London. They didn't have all the fancy-schmancy stuff. And one man attributed it to the fact that fathers read the Bible at the breakfast table and at the dinner table with their families. That as they honored God... God honored them, and He blessed their children. Pretty remarkable when you look back and you see those things. Let me ask you something. How many of you are doing something similar to that? Or do you just get up and go on about your day? Don't even give a thought towards heaven. Don't ask for the Lord to bless what you do, to guide you in what you do. To help you guard your tongue. To help you be diligent in guarding your heart and your mind. To empower you by grace. How many of you get up without any thought of any of that stuff? 
you're in a land of forgetfulness if you do. You really are. And I think that's where we're at. This is, this is what um, I think Bradley is getting at when he keeps going back to the old paths. He keeps going back and pointing back into history and saying, this is what was done. This is what was done. And everybody goes, oh, well, you know, it's just all taken over now. And it's just going to, you know, it's just going to be bad. And this is the way it's going to be. You're in a land of forgetfulness, friend. Remember the wonderful works of God. Psalm 78, we're supposed to be telling that to our children. We're supposed to be telling that to one another. What God has done in the scriptures, what He's done in history, what He's done in our past, what He's done in our parents' past, what He's done in our lives. We're to be declaring that to our posterity. We're to be declaring that. Why? Because that is the, that is the only hope we have. We have no hope outside of that. If your hope is in a political party, if it's in a politician, if it's in some piece of legislation that's written, listen, listen. You are in a land of forgetfulness. You're in a land of forgetfulness. Blessings cost, let's put it that way. They cost something. For us to be the children of God, what had to happen? Well, the testator had to die, didn't he? That's Jesus Christ. So that we become the beneficiaries of what he died for. That testament that he died for. And listen, if we want to see the blessings return again, it's going to cost us something too, isn't it? It's going to cost us time, may cost us hardship. I want to take you back in time. Everybody loves this guy, and it'll save my voice a little bit and allow me to drink some water here. Everybody loves Paul Harvey, right? I remember as a kid, uh, we used to listen to, it's still around, 1110 WBT out of Charlotte over here in North Carolina, across the line. And um, uh, that's when they used to they used to play music over there, too. But they played Paul Harvey, and I used to turn the radio on just to listen to Paul Harvey. <clears throat> Felt like I learned something every time the man taught. And this is just a little reminder. Um, I don't believe all our founders were, you know, some super Christian men. I don't, I don't buy that. But there were some who, I mean, they, they clearly were willing to lay it all on the line in order to stand against the tyranny that they saw and even pledging their lives and fortunes and sacred honor. And many of them, people have forgotten or they don't know about. Might as well be forgotten. So I want to bring Paul Harvey in here. This is a short 10-minute uh, video. And he's going to tell us, he's going to remind us about the Founding Fathers. And again, um, forget who we had on, but they, he had Paul Harvey in the same radio station. I forget where, where the, who the guy was that we had, but he talked about Paul Harvey, never came in with notes. Everything he said was right off the cuff. So uh, that's the case with this. So this is Paul Harvey just reminding us of what those who came before us did so that we might have the land that we have. 
Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the New World with much sweat. They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, at best it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Researching what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions, before and since, were initiated by men who had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose and nothing to gain, except one thing. Americans, I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction. A long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington, you have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero, but the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that'll survive to linger in the day-by-day -day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months for each new, the full meaning 
of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured and mistreated. His health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered, Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. 12 had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston, sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. 
Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. Hmm. Amen. And what's happened to it? What's happened to it? Men have forgotten. Now look, we don't need the founding fathers. We just need the Christ. We could look back to the Christ. Well, what's happened? Men have forgotten. They've forgotten. How is the Lord to bless in a land of forgetfulness? How is He to do that? The only way he will do that is by bringing to life the dead. Friends, I've said it, and I don't, I don't know how to say it anymore. If we aren't planting seeds along the way, if we are not speaking the gospel in some way to somebody each and every day, that is evidence we have forgotten We have forgotten. It's one of the things I love about Bradley, and of course, we do it too when we go out too, is when you're not preaching, you're finding somebody you can share those little pink and blues with. Give them the law. Give them the gospel. Show them their sin. Show them the Savior from sin. <laughs> one little girl on the plane coming over here from Charlotte. She looked to be Indian. She'd been asleep the whole time. Before I got off, I was going to track her and the lady beside me who'd been snoozing. <laughs> that lady, she just didn't even care. She was just out. And when I showed them to her, she was like, oh. She was kind of shocked that they, the little illusion that goes on there. But you give it to them trusting that God is going to bring something into their life, that he's going to do for them what he did for you. Friends, that is, that is the weapons of our warfare. I love guns just as much as anybody else. I do. But those are not the weapons of the Christian. Not in, a, not in offense, there aren't. 
Oh, we got powerful weapons at our disposal offensively. They don't require the firing of a bullet. But I'll tell you what they do. They slay the sinner with the law of God. They slay the sinner with the law of God. And then that same law that was used to slay them all of a sudden becomes a standard before them as to what God demands. That's real love. I was thinking about this the other day. I hear people compare love and law. And they'll say, well, love is, you know, that's New Testament and law is the Old Testament. We're not under law and blah, blah, all this stuff. They, they mix up what law is being talked about. We're not talking about ceremonial law or any of that stuff. Colossians tells us that that was nailed to the cross. The commands and ordinances were nailed to the cross of Christ. But I want you to listen to what Jesus equates love to being. Listen carefully. When the guy comes to him and he says, what's the greatest command? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. Why does the Bible tell us that there's no law against love? Because love is the fulfilling of the law. Tim, you talk about a lot about law. Bradley talks a lot about law. Yeah, because it's integrated with the gospel. You're not saved by law. But if you want to know what real love is, you look, to, you look at the law. It tells you. If you love your neighbor, are you going to steal from him? Are you going to commit adultery with his wife? Are you going to covet his wife, his house, his manservant, maidservant, his, the stuff he's got? No, you're not going to do that. Are you going to perjure yourself against him? No, you're not going to do that. Are you going to kill him? No, because you love him. You're going to do all the positive things there. You're going to encourage his marriage. You're going to encourage uh, you know, speaking the truth. You're going to, you're going to uh, ensure that if somebody's out to steal his stuff, you're going to look to stop it. You're going to honor your parents. That's love for them. And Jesus said, New Testament, he told the Pharisees, the, one, the, the man who won't honor his parents it sh- should be, is worthy of death. That's a big deal. Well, what about loving God? Oh, I love you, Jesus. Praise Jesus. You know, you see the people do that, and then when they go out, they act like Jesus isn't there, like he isn't seeing what they're doing. What does the Bible tell us about loving God? Don't have gods before him. Quit making those carved images, bowing down, worshiping them. Taking his name in vain. Not keeping his Sabbath. I mean, this is, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And yet people have forgotten. We become a land of forgetfulness. And I want to tell you, this is not... We're not going to straighten things out politically by political means. That's not how we're going to straighten it out. I do believe that we are the means and the hands and the feet of the Lord in doing things. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that. Many of you are being that. But you don't have in mind, at least the people that I've talked to, you don't have in mind that this is a political solution. It is a solution of pointing those who've been violating the law, those who've been forgetful, to call them back to remembrance, to put the law in front of them, to call them to repentance. 
See, that's a, that is a work too. That's what the prophets were doing in the Old Testament. Yes, it's spiritual, but it affects things politically, does it not? Why were the prophets going before the kings? The kings had departed from the word of the Lord. We read the other week about King Agag. Why did Samuel come to Saul? Because he didn't destroy the Amalekites? What, what, why did he do that? Because Saul had disobeyed. He had ignored. Remember I told you that was a definition for the, the word forget, the Hebrew word forget. He had ignored the word of the Lord and he did his own thing and he let some of the best of what the Amalekites had and the king live and all this other. And Samuel had to come back and say, you're not loving the Lord. You're not honoring God. You did the exact opposite of what he said. Your partial obedience is total disobedience. And as a result, the kingdom was taken away from Saul. Now, this message doesn't just apply in America. I was thinking of when we had um, uh, Anne, the... Um, the lawyer from over there in England, and she was telling us about England's history. Now, you know, the queen is supposed to uphold the laws of God. This message is for every nation on the face of the earth. It's not just the U.S. You're just getting kind of our spiel of it. But I bet if you go back in your history, you'll discover that forgotten history where God was at work in your land too. Remember it. Give glory to God. Repent. Turn and see what the Lord will do. If you'll do it in the lives of the individual, you don't think he will do it in the lives of the nation? Oh, Father, grant us repentance. Grant us remembrance. Grant us of your Spirit to grant to give us a true conviction of sin, a hatred for it, a desire to mortify the deeds of our own flesh and see you glorified. May we decrease and may you increase, even as John the Baptist rightly said. That's my prayer. I, that This is the thing I've been praying even from my heart over the past couple of days. And I hope it's the cry of your heart as well. Um, again, thank you for your prayers. Lord willing, we'll see you in the morning at 6 a.m. Bradley, be with you at 3. Talk to you then. See you.